All right, good morning, Rio. All right. Well, before we start, I've got a, a fun and big announcement about Rio Vista Community Church. As some of you know, Scott Carson moved on from what was called our Director of Renewal several months ago, and we have been searching for somebody to fill his shoes that focuses on mission, outreach to the city, looking for those that are the least fortunate, the left out, the those that are struggling. And I am really excited to tell you that our new director of missions is one of my very favorite people in the world. Would you please give a round of applause for Mrs. Drew Sherry? Sherry. All right, so I have known, I've known Drew going back all the way to ninth grade when I was a teacher. And Over the years, watching her being a headmaster here at Bethany, having middle schoolers as a headmaster, I want to just stop for a moment and tell you that she has such a heart of compassion. Like when we've been announcing this, kind of slow rolling it out to elders and others, everybody who's heard this was like, yes, this is perfect. There's never been a student who has been brokenhearted, in a season of struggle that Drew didn't draw near to, to cry with, to lift up, to counsel. And when I've asked her what her long-range plans are, it's exactly this. It is seeking after those that are struggling to help them and helping equip the church to do likewise. And I am excited for your season that's coming up. So big round of applause for six years. Pouring in to middle school and high school girls. Really awesome. And by the way, as we transition, if you have someone in mind that would make a great middle school and high school girls ministry leader, let us know. Send them our way. All right, so we are continuing in this series on the life of Peter. And today we come to one of my very favorite texts in all of Scripture. And I feel like every time I preach, I say that. Um, but this one's, this one's true, <laughs> You see, the last time that we were with Peter, specifically Peter, and his interactions of the Lord, what was it? Like we know that after the resurrection, Jesus had come to the disciples, but we're not told of an interaction between Jesus and Peter. And so the last personal interaction that we have between Jesus and Peter, is when Jesus is in trial by the religious leaders. His face is beaten, bloodied. He is on his way to the cross. He is in his most desperate moment in his life. And Peter denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows and Peter remembers the words of the Lord who had predicted this and he looks at Jesus and in that moment in the Gospel of Luke we're told that Jesus' eyes are laser focused right back on Peter. The greatest moment of shame in his life. And he runs away and he weeps bitterly. Today, we read the first encounter between this broken man and Jesus. But to understand this story, 
and where it's going. You have to understand two stories that we've already talked about in the series. The first one is his calling, and the second one is his denial. So let's really just, let's talk about his calling. What happens in his calling? Because it'll become relevant as this story goes on. We're told that Peter and his brother Andrew are out in the boat. They've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught a thing. And Jesus shows up to teach. And what does he do? He says, hey, I want you to go back out and I want you to cast your nets again. And they're like, are you kidding me? We've been out here all night. It's not going to, nothing's going to happen. But okay, Lord, we'll do it. They throw their nets overboard and the catch is so tremendous that the nets begin to break and the boat begins to sink. And Peter realizes this is no man. God, who controls the fish, who controls the sea, is in my boat. And what's his response? Depart from me, Lord. I know who you are, and if you knew who I was, you'd want nothing to do with me. And quite frankly, I'm a little terrified of being in your presence, so depart from me. I am a sinful man, he says. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you know what, you're right. He says, no, I know exactly who you are. I know you better than you do. I know all your shames and all of your guilts. I'm coming to call you, Peter. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And when Peter realizes that the God of the universe is in his boat, knows all of his shame, knows all of his guilt, and is still saying, I want you. I want you to be my shepherd, Peter. Peter leaves behind the nets and the boats, and the catches, and his family, and he is all in for Jesus. That's the beginning of his ministry. And three years go by where Peter emerges as the leader of the disciples. He's always the one to speak. He's always the one to show the most courage. Like, remember when he walks on water? He's the only one who got out of the boat. Even in these denials that we're going to talk about. Of the disciples, apart from John, who is too young truly really to be suspected, Jesus is, or Peter is the only one who risks himself. He can't stay away. He needs to go and see what's going on with his master. He's showing some bit of courage. And yet, when they're like, we know you, we know you, you are with him. I do not know the man. And the rooster crows and he goes and he weeps bitterly after denying Jesus three times. And so when we come to the morning of the restoration, Peter has gone back to that first place. This is, I took this picture when I was on the Sea of Galilee. This is the beach. This is the shoreline where this story that we're about to read this morning took place. It's a very special place for me. When I first came to faith, I loved Jesus. And I had all these behaviors that that I knew that God hated. I knew that he was displeased with. I knew that the addictions that I had a hard time letting go of were displeasing to God. And I would say, I'm going to do it this time. And then I would fail and I would think, man, do I even love him? Like, am I for real? Is this faith genuine? Can he, how much longer can he put up with me? The inappropriate relationship that I was in when I came to faith that I had the hardest time breaking off and just continually disappointing him and continually disappointing him. And one time I was over at a group of friends' house and 
This was my first group of Christian friends. One of them was a friend of mine who had an ankle bracelet and was under house arrest for attempted murder, but he would bring over all of these friends and they would play music and they would sing to the Lord. And it was one of the sweetest seasons of my life, just being with people who were absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus, singing to him, praising him, total freedom. And I had this thought like, I want to be like these guys. I'm tired of the stumbling. I'm tired of messing up. And so one day this girl came over from Jerusalem and she was a singer at a place called the School of Worship in Jerusalem. And she came to me, I was in finance, and she said, you know what, we're looking for a CFO to lead this School of Worship in Jerusalem. And I was like, now's my chance. Like this is the Lord's big call. He's going to call me over there. It's going to change my life. I'm going to be all in and I'll leave all this in behind. And so I started telling everybody very proudly I'm going. I'm leaving it all behind. I'm going to Jerusalem. And in September 2011, bombings happened. And the following year when I was considering this, there was like a bus bomb and a nightclub bomb. Every other day it felt like in Jerusalem. I had to sell my car and get rid of all my possessions or put them in storage. And the overwhelming thought of all this fear and everything else led me to say, I'm not going. And rather than going back to the place where I worshipped, I didn't go back because I was so ashamed. Oh yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to be this great guy who's going to the school of worship to do big things in Jerusalem. And fear drove me to deny the call. The love of all my stuff led me to deny the call. I wanted to be comfortable. So I hid. I ran away. I compared myself to everybody else and I thought, I'll never be worthy. And one day, one of the guys from that Bible study came to me and said, Sam, let me share with you a passage. It's this passage. It recentered me to continue on in ministry. It is a powerful story. If you feel that way, if you feel like you've grown comfortable, like you're disappointing the Lord with the way that you're living, you're not all in and you know it. Hear the word this morning. John 21 begins, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Notice Peter's mentioned first. He's the leader. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Peter goes fishing again. He's not abandoning his faith. He's not resisting like the fact that Jesus has this call on his life. But I'll tell you what, he's going right back to the beginning. He's going right back to Capernaum. He's going back to the boats. He's going back to the beginning, the fishing. And I think God in all of his sovereignty is orchestrating this to show his unbelievable, pure kindness to Peter in this moment. And you got to think, like they were out there all night and they caught nothing. Do you realize that God is just as sovereign over the fact that not one fish entered their nets as he's sovereign when the multitude enters the nets? He lets them stay out there and catch nothing. Why? Because he wants to teach Peter something unbelievably profound and beautiful. Hear that. God doesn't waste any of this. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. 
And Jesus says to them from the shoreline, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, do you get how absurd that request is? Like, we've been fishing all night over this side, but maybe if we just went six feet this way. Like, it's an absurd request. It would be like me saying, oh yeah, you can jump in the water over here. I know there's crocodiles and piranha over here, but come in this side of the boat. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but the absurdity of the request only proves how miraculous it is. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, he recognizes what's going on. This feels familiar. Hey, remember the last time we were out fishing in the Sea of Galilee? We spent all night not catching anything, and then he comes along and says, drop the nets one more time, and we caught an abundance of fish. John's like, I recognize this. It's the Lord. So my my question is, why does he repeat this miracle? Hear how wonderful this is. The first time God called Peter into ministry and says, I want to entrust you with my mission, this happened. And now for weeks, two weeks probably, Peter has been going, what's he going to do? We haven't resolved this. Is he ashamed of me? Am I out? Have I forfeited my position because of how terribly I responded in that moment? What is he going to do? Think how wonderful it is that Jesus comes to him in the midst of all that shame and sovereignly orchestrates the retelling of Peter's calling. You know what Jesus is saying here? You're my guy. I'm calling you all over again. I'm not walking away from you. Can you believe that? Do you believe that this morning in all your shame, whatever you're carrying, that the Lord through his word is saying to you, I've not given up on you. This morning I'm calling you again. And I love even more what Peter's reaction is. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which is like a coat. He's not naked. For he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So answer this question. If you're Peter in this moment, what's your response? It's the Lord. Your last encounter with him was one where you totally blew it. You abandoned him. You failed in your faith. You failed to love him. What's your response? Do you like, oh my goodness. Like, do you creep down and hide behind the wall of the boat? Do you jump in the water and swim the other direction? I love what Peter does because Peter knows the Lord. What does he do? He jumps into the water and can't wait for the sails and all that business. He knows he needs to get to Jesus as fast as he possibly can. Do you remember the call? The first time that Jesus came to Peter in the calling... And Peter realizes, oh my goodness, it's the Lord. What does he say? Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm overwhelmed by guilt and shame. Depart from me. And now after three years of getting to know Jesus, what's his response? 
I'm shameful. I'm filled with guilt. I've got all these same emotions running for me. I got to get to him as fast as I can. Because I know he will not turn me away. I know my Savior. And I love that in the process, he, he does what he did in the first call. He abandons the nets. He abandons the catch. He abandons the boats. He abandons his friends. Probably they didn't love that so much. He, ab- he nearly abandons his clothes. But in the moment of this, Jesus is so tender. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Now that's really, really important here for what the Lord is trying to do, because the Lord doesn't just avoid and waste an opportunity to grow Peter. It says, when they saw a charcoal fire, that word, charcoal fire is only used two times in the entire New Testament. You know where the other place is? It's at the denials when Jesus is under trial and Peter finds a nice charcoal fire to warm himself. And so Jesus has gone ahead of them. He's prepared all this. It takes like seven or eight hours to make charcoal. So Jesus is very premeditated here. He makes a charcoal fire, but listen to what he does. He lays out fish on it and bread. He's not ignoring what just happened with Peter two weeks ago, but he's coming to recall him. He sets a table, which in the ancient first century world is, you're my friend. I want to eat with you. I want to share a meal with you. Jesus said to him, bring me some of the fish that you've caught. What? Here's the Lord, God Almighty, who's saying to his servants, bring me what you've caught so I can clean and cook it for you and prepare you a meal. How humble and kind and sweet is our God. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauls the net to shore full of fish, 153 of them. Massive catch. As a fisher of men at Pentecost, he's going to cast his nets for the first time and catch 3,000 people to salvation on Pentecost. This is a foreshadowing of that. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. When he's called to be a fisher of men, he's going to cast nets. What are those nets going to be? It's the gospel. You cast the gospel. You cast the gospel and you rely on the Holy Spirit. By the way, that net will not be broken. This metaphor is looking forward to what Peter will do. You're a fisherman and your nets will not break. And so the kindness of Jesus only continues. He went to Galilee. He's he's recreated sovereignly all the circumstances of Peter's calling. He has laid a table saying, I want you to eat with me. I'm bringing you to my table. You're my friend. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Every meeting prior to this, post-resurrection, somebody has been like, I'm not sure I believe this. Now they're settled. No one dares to bring it up. They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And now is the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So before Peter could say a word, before he could offer an apology, before he could express his shame, what's Jesus doing? He's going ahead of him saying, the table is laid. Come. I'm calling you again. Come. 
Like there's nothing that's going to keep me from you. Come, lay down the guilt and shame and come. Do you feel like you're a disappointment to God? Do you feel like you failed Him? Do you have a hard time coming to Him because you just are carrying all this? This morning, He sets a table for you. That's His nature. That's His character. He's so good. And while God, before we even get a chance to repent, has already laid the table, He's already bought our forgiveness, He's already offered the grace and mercy that we're going to ask for, He also does not shy away from piercing our heart. He's going to ask Peter questions that are just going to stab at Peter's heart and wreck him and humble him and bring him low to recognize I have sinned. I have fallen short. And it's not unkind. It is the most kind, merciful, precious thing that the Lord could have done for Peter at this moment. Listen to what he says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. There's a couple things I want to point out here. Jesus isn't looking past the sins. He's looking to humble Peter for the good of Peter and the good of the Lord's flock. Can you imagine the Lord coming to you in this honest moment saying, do you love me more than everyone else? Oof. Why is the reason he asked that of Peter? Well, because on the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus told all of the disciples, you will fall away because of me this night. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. You're going to betray me. I'm still with you, in other words. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I'm the best disciple you got. I love you far more than any of them. I'll never leave you. I'll never betray you. I'm the best. And here Jesus says to Peter, first question, do you love me more than them now? Oh. You see, comparison when you're in the faith, when you're a disciple of Jesus, comparisons are a dangerous game. Why? Let's pretend that everybody in this sanctuary besides you is a total spiritual slouch. What does that make you do? These people are terrible. Look how good I am. I don't need to grow anymore. I'm already the best. But if I transported you to the first century and surrounded you with early church fathers who were gladly giving their lives and being tortured for the faith, and I put you in the middle of them, you're going to feel like you're not even a believer. And you're going to say, I'm out. These people are crazy. The whole point of this, God is saying, take your eyes off of everyone else. I'm not worried about how I'm moving in you, Peter, based on how everyone else is. Stop comparing, stop measuring, stop trying to be better than everyone else. Take your eyes off yourself. And notice what he says. Feed my lambs at the end of that exchange. In other words, it's not about you. You want to show that you love me? Love them for me. 
That's the prescription. Take your eyes off of yourself and serve, engage, get out there, live this deal. That'll be how you show me that you love me. This comparison business is no good. Like, you know what? Like, you won't care about your health and discipleship if you're better than everyone else. It's like, you don't care whether you're rich. You only care whether you're richer than others around you. You don't care if you're smart, really. You just care if you're smarter than others around you. Will doesn't care that he's good at tennis until he's around me, right? Then he really cares. And that's the idea. Like, we cannot base our walk on comparing ourselves to each other. God has given you a calling. He has come to you. He's spoken to you in your heart through his word. And he has said, this is what I want for you. You feel it. You feel it compelling you. You feel the Lord calling you saying, get more in. And you're going, "Mm, but I'm better than them. And he's saying, I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm calling you to take this step, to do this next thing, to up the ante, to be more in for me. Stop comparing I'm looking at you and you alone. This is between us. And secondly, in this passage, these two words are very, very important that are going on here. And so if you notice in John 21, 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? But the Greek word that's used there, you see, is agapao. Comes The word agape, you probably know it's Greek. Let me tell you what it means. It literally means to make a decision of the will. It's volitional. It's come hell or high water, I am all in for you. If it costs me to sacrifice, if it causes me pain, if it causes me to lose everything, I love you. It's covenant love. It's marriage kind of love. It's I'm all in no matter what kind of love. And so Jesus is asking, do you agapao me? And Peter, who is still shattered from what he has done, responds honestly. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love. Phileo is the Greek word. You know that I love you. What is phileo? It's a beautiful kind of love. It means that you have affection for somebody. You're fond of somebody. You enjoy them. You have a deep friendship. It's a good kind of love. But Jesus is saying, are you all in? Can you say to me that you're all in and Peter's like, well, I mean, I love you. I mean, I like you a lot. I mean, imagine someone coming and saying, will you marry me? That's a gapao. Are you all in? And the response being, well, I'm, I'm very fond of you. I like you as a friend. Imagine being in a foxhole and the guy next to you says, do you have my back no matter what? And you respond, well, I've, I've enjoyed our time together. But I'm not trusting myself to say I'm all in. I feel like a coward. I'll never, I can't measure up. I don't have that agapao love that you're looking for. So one of my shameful confessions is this summer, my wife and I finished this Downton Abbey show. I told Ryan that, and he was like, I'd rather be beaten than have to watch that. I almost want to ask how many men in here have watched it, but I won't, just to spare you. 
But anyway, in this show, one of the things that you keep seeing is they're lords and ladies in the show. So they're, they're high up. They live in this mansion and they keep having these encounters of love. But every time there's an encounter of love, it seems like something's off. Yeah, I really like this person, but they don't have enough money. They don't have the right title. They're too old. They're whatever. And I was thinking, man, how shallow is that kind of love? But then it, like the Lord kind of did a button hook on me. And that's kind of how I am toward him. There is nothing about him that doesn't deserve me entirely. He is the Lord of lords, controls heaven and earth. He is entirely good. He's infinite in all of his attributes. And he comes to me and says, Sam, I want you. I want you to be all in. I really like you. But that means it's going to cost me. I'm going to have to sacrifice. And you know what? Like there's things that you do that don't always meet my expectations or work out the way I want, so I'm not sure I want to be all in to the God of the universe, the one who made me, who died for me. What? Sam, that's really shallow. The Lord says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you agapao me? There's no comparative here. He doesn't say, do you love me more than these? Now it's just, are you all in at all? Do you love me at all? Here's the Lord ask you that question. It's not a bad question to ask from the mouth of the Lord to yourself. Do you love him at all? Are you sacrificing at all? Are you all in at all? What does this faith cost you? And Peter, oh, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Tend my sheep. Notice what he's doing here. And these cutting questions that are wrecking Peter to the core at this moment. He's still saying what? You're my guy. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Oh, you know that I phileo you. Tend my sheep. What does tend your sheep mean? What does a good shepherd do? A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd gives up his ordinary life to follow this goofy, dumb flock around to protect them from wolves, to do all this stuff at great personal sacrifice. But what the Lord is not saying is, well, that's not good enough. You're out. I phileo you. And the Lord says, tend my sheep. Take your eyes off yourself, Peter. Go and serve others. You want to show your love for me? Love others. Take care of my flock. How selfless is our God that that is his concern at this moment. Not, you wronged me. It's Peter. I want you to get over yourself so that you can love those that I love so much. Get over yourself. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. You know, before this, when Peter denied the Lord, there's this great exchange at the Last Supper, and Jesus says to Simon, 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 behold, this is before Peter's fall, Satan has demanded to have you, plural, all of you disciples, that he might sift you, plural, like wheat. Now listen to what the Lord does. But I have prayed for you, singular. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail when you come through this, because you're going to fail. But man, I'm praying for you that when you come out on the other side, your faith is strengthened through this failure. Why? 
so that when you've turned again, you can strengthen your brothers. What's your sin? What are you holding back? Turn it into the trophy case of the Lord. Use that. Use what you learn. Use the grace that God has shown you, the mercy that God has shown you, the comfort that God has shown you in your affliction to then turn and comfort those that are afflicted. That's the point of all this. God doesn't waste our failures. Amen? He said to him the third time, the worst of all questions. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Now he lowers the bar. Do you phileo me? Are you fond of me? Do you consider me your friend? Peter was grieved because he said this to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Look at my heart. Look where I am right now. You know that I phileo you. I have... So much kind regard and affection. I miss you. You're a friend to me. I love you to pieces. I just don't know if I can go all in. And Jesus said to him again, affirming that calling, feed my sheep. And there you have it. The third question to match the three denials. This deep conviction. He doesn't allow Peter to walk away from this without learning. That third question to match the third denial. You know, this is no, what Jesus says next is no soft sell for Peter. I want you to listen to this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. We know from historical church tradition that Peter will be crucified just as this foretells. He's going to be taken to Rome. He's going to be crucified for his faith. But on the way, he tells his captors, I'm not worthy to be put to death in the manner that my Lord died. And so they crucify him upside down. Peter got there. That's that's agapao. All in. You can't even, I won't even hold on to my life. My riches, my comfort, everything I have, all in. That's what Jesus is asking Peter for here. The day is going to come when you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to dress you and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And he said this to show the kind of death that Peter was going to have to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him the same exact words that he says to him when he first called him. In the midst of all the shame, in the midst of all the doubts, in the midst of all the, I don't know. Follow me. You're going to get there. The Lord who sees your tomorrows takes your phileo, this deep affection you have, the fact that you can't promise agapao yet. He sees your phileo and he promises, I'm going to make you into that. One that will lay down everything. Just keep pursuing me. Feed my lambs. Tend my flock. Feed my sheep. You will get there. Your faith will continue to grow and grow and grow. And here's the question. How in the world can we do that? What does Jesus promise Peter? What? When you get old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Guess who else did that? 
guess who else stretched his hands for Peter? Guess who else was dressed and stripped when he didn't want to be for Peter? Guess who was taken where he did not want to go for Peter and not just for Peter, for you? The Lord is not calling you on to this mission that the Lord, the creator of all things, God of heaven and earth, has not done for you himself already. And he gives you, as we'll see next week, the power of the Holy Spirit to carry it out. You're not left alone to do this in your own strength. You couldn't. But draw near and love him and see what he will do in you. Wow, how he will use you for this kingdom. And initially, listen to what Peter does, because he does what I would have done. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So you get that? Jesus has taken Peter away. He's not shaming them in front of the crowds. They've gone on a walk. And John, who's nosy, is like, well, I want to check this out. And he sees John following them, the one who leaned against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to him, Lord, what about this man? Like, you're calling me to do amazing things. You're calling me to be the one who stretches out my arms and is dressed and goes places I don't want to go. What about him? He's right back to that game. I'm not going to stretch myself out of my comfort zone unless they do. And that's the reason why they don't. God needs a couple people to stand up and say, I'm jumping out of this comfort zone. I'm feeding the lambs. I'm tending the flock. I'm feeding the sheep. I'm all in. Where do you want me to go, Lord? I phileo you. By the power of your spirit, call me to better. Lead me to one day where I could be like that. And here's the reality. Jesus probably isn't calling you to die on a cross. But here's the reality. He is calling you to die. He's calling you to set aside your dreams for His. Your mission for His. Your name, your reputation for His. He's calling you to be dead to yourself and by the power of the Spirit, risen to new life that has eternal consequence. So I just want, I want to close with this, because this is hard. You're like, Jesus, by the way, says to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come back in glory, what's it to you? You follow me. So I want to close with two things. One, if your God blesses every decision you ever make, He never calls you out on your sin because He just celebrates everything you do. You don't know the Lord. That's harsh, right? If He never calls you out on a sin that He hates so much He would go to the cross to defeat it, if God never meddles in your life, He's just happy to let you keep on doing what you're doing in all of your destructive ways and He never intervenes to convict you, you do not know the Lord. That's not the Lord. On the other hand, if the Lord you know only heaps shame on you and condemnation and says, you're not good enough, you're not worthy to be my disciple, and that's the only side of the Lord you see, you don't know the Lord. 
The Lord comes before the conviction and says, you're mine. I love you. I agapile you so much. I would die for you. Your value in my sight so amazing. It's infinitely so. And grace and mercy and forgiveness is laid out before you. I've prepared a table for you. Come. And then he asks you the question, look at your life. Do you love me? Do you? Do you agapao me? The Lord loves you as you are. But He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He is so good. So good. And Peter will look back at this day as one of the lowest and one of the greatest days of his life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your kindness to us, for the way that you never give up. You always chase. Your grace is radical. Your forgiveness knows no boundaries. Your mercy is incredible. And Lord, I thank you that you love me too much to just dwell in my sin to not call me to better, Lord. I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would come into each and every one of us and ask that question of us, do we love you? Do we agapao you? And that you would give us great courage and wisdom and love and the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our love and in our faith to serve you. How? By, By thinking less of ourselves and focusing on what you've called us to, to love your flock. You are so good, so selfless. We give you praise this morning in Christ's name. Amen.